Hello, this is Eric with Dungeons and Tangents. You are tuning in to one of the early episodes of this podcast, so I wanted to make sure you know the quality of these early episodes is inferior to later episodes. I recommend checking out episode 14 or later. It's around that time that we really get our process figured out. If you're listening to this early material, I hope you forgive us for our learning curve, and thank you very much for listening. And welcome to episode eight of Dungeons and Tangents. I'm Robert Sherman. And I'm Eric Dewhurst. And this episode, we're talking about memorable moments and what make up those memorable moments. I never know how to start these things. Like so. that. You start with, welcome to the episode. <laughs> Is that the formula? Here's our names. Here's the episode name. Okay. Or maybe you put the episode name at the end of... I need it like a template that I can, okay. I can refer to. Um, for the unscripted tangent. I've, I've watched us do it so many times, <laughs> and every time it's almost identical. <laughs> okay, good. I, do I have that like half-second stutter when I realized I finally, like, oh, I, it's my turn? Yes. Okay. Chris Rutledge did not. Yeah. He's like, well, he's smooth. I'm not. I, I, I accept that. I accept okay. limitations. But for this episode, we're specifically talking about moments in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so we were going to share some of our own first. And then we'll go into kind of what makes them memorable, why memorable, you know. To start, I wanted to talk about the fact that the kinds of memorable moments you experience in D&D are significantly different than those that you experience in other games. Uh, they're more akin to something in a movie or a TV show than they are what you get out of Monopoly. The tabletop games that I play that aren't D&D uh, are generally mechanically driven. I don't know, Dominion's a good, good example of a game that you're going to find an interesting technique to apply to the game, and uh, and we've played that one together. In yeah. fact, I think I played your copy. That's the only time I've played it. I think my memorable moment would have been you completely kicked my butt like the second time you ever played. <laughs> well, because I figured out a technique, I applied the technique, and I was satisfied by the fact that it worked. But that's incredibly impressive considering the fact that Dominion's a game where the rules change every single time you play. And so... Next time I play, I won't be able to figure it out. I think I got lucky. Regardless, what's memorable there is is a mechanical aspect of it. And what's different in D&D is that we have moments of narrative realization. The things that happen that are about characters. And sometimes the mechanics are a part of that, either the realization or the, the, the suspense but you don't have that in Candyland or Monopoly. You might have fun playing those games, but they're not as dynamic because the, the enjoyment that you get out of them and the moments that you remember are probably more about the people you were with than they are about how the game facilitated mm -hmm. the uh, memorable moment. And the, yeah, and they are they're a competition, they're a distilled competition, and... The setting, Candyland, Truths and Ladders, Monopoly, it's dressing for the mechanic. It's, it's still just a mechanic. We keep going back to that concept of immersion in a game. And that immersion lets you kind of get lost in that moment. And then that gives you that number moment of like, well, I feel like there's actual stakes at play here. You know, yeah. uh, If I lose Candyland, <laughs> the competitive part of me is going to be like, I wish I had won. But two minutes later, I'm not even going to be thinking about Candyland, right? Yeah. Let's go straight into uh, the first example. Okay. Uh, the first one uh, was one of mine. We did... Um, I don't even want to say... I'm not, I'm not going to... I want to spoil the module. So I need to be very <laughs> careful about what I say here. I'm, I am almost 100% certain that this specific event had nothing to do with the module. We were doing a module. Um, okay. <laughs> and we were getting pretty far into it. And we had this character, this NPC, who just kept wrecking us and almost teasing us and that she would pop in right when we were doing well mess up our whole day uh, laugh at us and then just kind of peace out right was she the big bad I don't know uh, oh I, she wasn't yeah, like, like a not built in in this instance but later on my character died trying to find out so I never really got to the resolution of that oh okay but uh, as far as I was concerned she was definitely the big bad she was okay. just 
at every time she would show up like this is the time we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get this figured out so this time this is one of like five times like this is the time I've got it and just did not go the way I had envisioned at all but we were in a dungeon underground very very limited escape options so when she popped up it was like yes there's nowhere to go she had a bunch of like lieutenants with her but like we're gonna get that part figured out but once we get through that like that's it she can't get away this is our chance to bring her to justice bring her back into i can't even say the name of town without giving away the module but um bring her back to town you know to the magistrate and get all that figured out I was playing Timberwind, a big barbarian, uh, you know, Russian, and uh, suffer the consequences Russian? later. Rush in. Oh, no. Oh, okay. You would... I would rush into danger. Timberwind would always kind of rush into battle, and he had the fast movement ability in 3rd edition, which always got him into more trouble than he could handle. But, uh, as I said, we were in this room that we thought had no other exit. Uh, big treasure chest. Uh, we had just uh, finished an encounter... We were feeling really good about ourselves. Uh, and in pops in uh, Little Miss NPC, who just is like, <laughs> I'm going to wreck your day, right? And so uh, we are fighting some of her group. And while that happens, she backs up, opens up a secret door, and just pretty much vanishes, right? Just disappears. Oh, man, not again. So I break through the group of people that were between us, and I just start chasing after her. <laughs> not a good idea at all start chasing after her and I get to uh, like she's gone I can't see her but I know the, it's a hallway it's a little place she'd have gone chase after her stop and there's like she's just like standing there just smiling totally should have been a red flag like <laughs> this is not what I wanted to see I'm like it's okay you know I'm, I'm committed now uh, start rushing after her and all of a sudden DM's like okay roll a uh, basically roll a dexterity what the hell was that called there's a name for it anyway basically roll a you're screwed check and so <laughs> Uh, I roll, don't do great, and uh, evasion. Oh, that's right. All of a sudden, you hear a loud uh, metal scraping noise from the ceiling. A portacolist drops down. I had to then roll another check to see on which side I was caught on. The side with her, and then once the drop, I found out she had like two or three other guys with her that were going to mess me up. Or on the side with my party, and then she would get away. Um, and I rolled, and I rolled a one. I'm pretty sure I fumbled. And says, all right. Uh, and it came down on top of me. And so, like, my upper half was on the side that she was on, and my lower half was on the side that my friends were on. And she just smiles. Three guys come up from behind her and just start wailing on me. You know, just... <laughs> and I, I'm a barbarian. I was, like, fourth or fifth level at this point. I had huge just pile of hit points. I'm like, don't worry about it. I got this. And right <laughs> he was like, are you sure? Like, ah, I got this. You know, I'm grabbing the iron bars as particles as, as these, like, I think they were like half hours just wailing on me. And I'm, I'm, I'm rolling these strength, strength checks and I just, it's not happening. And turn goes by, turn goes by, turn goes by. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I don't got this. <laughs> and we had one other barbarian in the party. And this whole time, he's looting that chest in that other room. Completely oblivious. I would love to say role-playing, but just, you know, it's not an opportunity to be the only person with that chest. And so finally we had to have one of the party members run back, grab him, come back, and between the two of us, we were able to get this portal up, and then they just pulled me through back to our side and saved me. And I was, like, maybe one or two hits away from being unconscious at that <laughs> point. Uh, I had just a handful of hit points left. That was a stressful night. What do you think made that memorable beyond... I, I mean, there was two things that immediately come to mind about why it's memorable. One, I, I, I was convinced I knew how this was going to play out. And in a moment, things completely turned on me. And the other one was I, have, I felt a genuine sense of risk in a character that I had invested much time in. I put a bunch of time in number one. He had multi-classed, and I had, I had put in like this big backstory for why he had multi-classed. I, I had put more work in Timberborn than I put in a character in a long, long time. I was convinced I was going to prove my worth to the party and like have the shining moments, and I barely was saved because I went off on my own and I tried to do something. I, you know, I, I didn't stick with the party, you know, I just... I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, basically. I did what Timberwind would have done, you know, as far as just being an idiot, but... But, you know, there's there's risk in every encounter. It, you know, you could have gone into an encounter with random uh, creatures of some sort, and your character would have been in just as much 
mortal sure. damage. And it could have been anybody else could have shown up, right? But this particular NPC had antagonized us over and over. If it had been the first encounter, I'd be like, oh, okay, great. Uh, who is she, right? But she was this like really evil NPC that had was causing all kinds of mayhem. Played beautifully by our DM, custom built to to strike fear in our hearts. And I was like, "This is this is how I'm not going to be afraid. This is going to be the moment <laughs> I don't lose." Right? Uh, I, I should have been afraid. I lost <laughs> so big. That was one of my favorite encounters. Everybody, hmm. when I'm really like into what's happening, every single time I'll stand up, right, and I'll have to pace up and down the table. And I was pacing up and down the table that night. Um, just trying to make those checks to get the portcullis back up, you know, <laughs> um, waiting for the other uh, barbarian to come in and help me. Uh, it just and it's that, that slow realization of like it's not a problem. I've totally got some control, and then just seeing those you know sub ten numbers come out <laughs> twenty over and over and over, and I'm like I don't, I, I'm not going to make it, you know. And then <laughs> and then going from a high to a low, and then to just an utter relief at just being. Adequate, right? You're like, right. Woohoo! I survived. <laughs> and, and our DM was incredibly good at can, can, tricking us. I'm gonna make you feel like you had this under control, and then right at that moment, where like everything is gonna just go your way, everything's gonna fall apart. It's like <laughs> the exact opposite of the A team. None of our plans. <laughs> came Do you want to talk about your memorable moment? Yeah. So I'll I'll take memorable moment number two. Okay. Uh, which is an odd one because it's actually something that you were a part of, and I was the DM. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I was running a game with our flex group. So it was a, a ragtag set of people. It was it was a random set of people who had just either created their characters or pulled out pre-made characters to play. I'd written this encounter as a one-night encounter. Like, you would go to the tavern, talk to this one person, go do the mission, and be done by the end of the night. Everybody's sitting in a, in a tavern. And this woman walks up to them and says, Hi, I'm Imowen. Uh, I ripped that name off from, I think it was Baldur's Gate. She says, hey, I need help. I have been hired to return this priestess's daughter to her. Her daughter's been kidnapped by Lord Blackvine. And Lord Blackvine is this evil lord. But I have a plan. I just need help. The plan is he has a, a masquerade ball every year. And it's, it's tomorrow night. And I have forged tickets. But I don't have enough bodies. You guys can help me. We'll sneak in. And I know his, I know the, the kidnapped daughter is, uh, will be there at the masquerade ball. I'll make a distraction. You get the girl, and we'll be good. So that's the setup. Everybody figures out what they're going to wear, go to the ball, go into the ball, start looking around for the little girl. Imowen comes in, creates a distraction as soon as the little girl shows up. So everything seems like it's going to plan. Like, the little girl shows up, Imowen springs her trap, which is summoning a creature that scares everybody in the party. The masquerade ball becomes a bedlam. There's chaos everywhere, and people are running out of this giant manor. As all of this bedlam is happening, surprisingly, the players are just as confused. And I move Imwen, like I take her miniature, and I take her off the, the mat. And one player in the whole room, there's a, like seven people playing that night, one person actually saw me take the miniature off the mat. Mm-hmm. And so I just took it aside with her as everybody's talking about, okay, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, Emwyn's headed up the stairs. Thankfully, everybody kind of played along with this. Like, even though I told her and other people kind of heard what was going on, but everybody played along and, like, didn't metagame it. So she chases Emwyn up the stairs because, like, curious what, what's going on. Why, why is she going somewhere else within this manor? There's no reason for that. She gets upstairs and finds out that, well, I should, I should play this concurrently because it was a lot of things happening all at once. One of the things happening was that downstairs your character was trying to get the girl. Mm-hmm. You went up to the girl. I think you got hit by the creature that was summoned. Yeah, I got stung. <laughs> yeah. You know, it almost dropped me right it, then and there. Yep. You reached out to get the girl and like the, the chief of the guards or whatever uh, shooed you away. And you got a very distinct impression at the moment that you were trying to save her. She was, in fact, Lord Blackvine's daughter. Right. And it's epiphany that um, we probably weren't rescuing anybody. Right. Uh, we were probably committing uh, half a dozen different crimes. At that point, I think I already hit somebody with a serving tray. Yes. 
um, who didn't deserve it. I later found out. Felt bad about that. Kept the tray, but I felt bad about that. <laughs> You're, yeah, all, was, you're also dressed as a jester. Yeah, which there, was, was there, was, there was this moment of like, oh, we messed up <laughs> real bad. Right. So uh, you realized right at that moment you messed up. Uh, Crystal and her character realized something s- suspicious is going on, and she followed Imowen upstairs, and she finds out that Imowen is sneaking into Lord Blackvine's bedroom and into a vault behind his bedroom, and it all kind of clicks for everybody. Oh, shit, we got duped. Yep. And that was really memorable for me as a DM because that is exactly what I wanted to have happen. As a DM, I know that 80 to 90% of the time, I'm going to set up the players and I'm going to set up the setting and things are going to go the way they're going to go. And I don't have a whole lot of control over that. I know how to play the parts of everything, but the way that the players and the player characters interact with the setting has more to do with the outcome than what I'm doing as a DM. So I was very proud of the fact that I was able to set up the setting and convince everybody of the world and the lie that was Imowen's double cross so convincingly that everybody just played along with what she told them Mm -hmm. was the truth. And it felt exactly like a TV show. Coincidentally, I stole the entire thing from a TV show. Which was also, like, it was kind of gratifying to be able to, to lift a plot from a TV show. It happened to be um, an episode of Angel. Just being able to lift a plot from a TV show, put it in the place of a, a D&D game, and have it work exactly as expected. That blew my mind. Uh, hopefully it was it was memorable for you guys. It was, I, I assume so. It was very memorable for me. I think it was, it was very similar in the other example in that there was this moment where, you know your perception of things changed. We went into that situation with this very powerful self-righteousness. We are going to punish the bad guys. We're going to save, you know, the the kid and all that. And there's this moment of like, oh, shit, we're not the good guys. <laughs> we're the bad guys. Um, and we've done, like, we, we crashed somebody's party. We stole some things. We I hit the guard. Um... You're tempting to kidnap. We we murdered the shit out of the people in the stable to get our getaway horse, um, and everyone here is innocent. Oh, <laughs> no, you uh, did end up killing the actual thief. Well, that was later. later. That, was, that was later. <laughs> we went and uh, everyone saw us coming. Like they yeah. were just like, <laughs> oh look, a bunch of first they're, level characters. They're perfect. <laughs> look at them, so new and trusting. <laughs> it wasn't us, you know, like trying to uh, suspension disbelief we uh, I'm convinced every single player walked into that wholeheartedly believing we were the good guys this was I, a uh, a good thing that we were doing it helped a lot that nobody had not many people had played with me before mm-hmm. and I had completely changed the way that I was thinking about how to play game how to be a DM at that point because I was thinking about how do I throw a twist yep. into every session and then from then on, you guys didn't trust me because Isn't there were the twists one, in every the session. One, the one downfall was that we never trusted anybody you put in front of us after that. <laughs> I had to earn trust thereafter. <laughs> so the third moment that yeah. we said was um, something from the D&D 5th edition starter set, the uh, Mine of, of Thandelver. And this was a completely random encounter, so we're not spoiling anything, so you guys know. I was running the game. Yeah, you were running the game. I was playing. Uh, You acquired a goblin sidekick. Yeah. Uh, Droop's the name of the character. Droop, yes. Uh, Was Droop always a... Was it a part of the module? Droop... uh, Droop was in there. But what happened with him... No. What happened was very unique to to your situation. So what happened was you were traveling at night. I forget where you were traveling to. We we had a new player who just joined us, Michael. Oh, that's right. And Michael and I share a passion for, like, um, all things tactical. So Michael had a very a specific idea of how our camp should be set up. Right. It worked out very well. So night passes, and we roll, and there's a, a random encounter. And just to kind of set it up for you, there's a mound of earth separating the campsite from the road so people from the road couldn't see the fire. There was a tree, and then the, the, the fire, and we were kind of between the fire and the mound, so you could see what was coming at you, right? Yeah. And then Droop was 
sleeping in the tree. Sleeping in the tree because one of the characters had pretty much adopted Drew. Yeah, and they were sleeping right. under the tree. They constantly had to be around Drew. I'm pretty sure Michael wanted to kill Drew. So right. they were protecting him from Michael's character. Michael's character, his preferred enemy, I believe, was goblins. And uh, Drew was a goblin. That, that also, Drew constantly stole his shit. Right. So he'd constantly walk around just flipping something that belonged to Michael's character and you know, I was I was I was messing with him nonstop with that. It was a lot of fun. Amber's character is down there, uh, wakes up, Mike Michael you know, somebody's here, walks around the camp, starts waking everybody up, not knowing what's happening, you can only kinda of see vague shapes and hear some sounds, right? Because right? the way we played it was the, the fire only lit up so much space yep. in the encounter and then you but you can hear creatures out there coming, you know, circling the fire trying to get to the party without being seen. But uh, the first thing Amber does is wake up and grabs like a, a stick or maybe a quarter step and starts poking the tree where Droop yeah. is. Like, hey, hurry up, hurry up! Droop is um, super like non-compliant, yeah. so uh, Droop doesn't doesn't wake up. And so she's just poking up in the tree in the darkness, trying to get him to come down. And finally, she she can't mess around anymore. She's got to right, you know. There there are arrows incoming at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. There were. Uh, and uh, Michael had the great idea of lighting arrows and shooting them out. That was me. Oh, was that you? Yeah. Uh, and creating the pockets of light. Yeah. And so we started drawing this out, and then we draw it, and then you light up a, like a four-square area, and then you would see this creature just scurry away from that. Right. Uh, started freaking out the players. It was great. I, after like four or five arrows, had one hit close enough to a creature that we were like, oh, it's goblins. Goblins mm-hmm. are attacking us. And the whole time, I have this dice out and I had it out there to track something moving yeah but at some point somebody got the idea that the number that I had facing up meant something I thought it was this was like the a boss of some sort that, <laughs> and that was when I thought this isn't a random encounter this has got to be part of the plot because this is too well thought through and there's there's too much going on and so what happens is um you see this die out there moving around in the darkness, and all of a sudden these goblins start dropping. And we um, didn't even know the go- goblins were dropping. Well, um, what would happen was the uh, you and Michael, I think it was, had an idea of where they were. Yeah, I guess. We and did. so you would see it scurry out, and then so what you would do is you would fire the arrow where you thought it went to, and when the arrow right. got there, it'd just be a dead goblin. That's right. So at some point between the first hour and the second hour, something had killed that goblin. And, and I think Michael at one point goes, oh, shit, they're not coming at us. They're running from something else. <laughs> Which didn't even occur to me. But I was like, right. yeah, let's run with that. That sounds great. <laughs> That's terrifying. Let's do that. And everybody starts moving in. And finally, this last goblin kind of walks out into the the camp lot, the, the firelight, right? Yeah. And stumbling, and he just pitches forward with like daggers just sticking out of his back and then you hear this movement and then out of the darkness comes this goblin just covered in blood <laughs> uh, daggers in each hand uh, everybody's freaked out and then people realize it's Droop right, well we knew it was Droop because Droop was wearing Amber's eye patch that she yeah. stole from one of the, uh, the the red brands so <laughs> the reason why he hadn't woken up was because he, he had heard the goblins coming right. in. He knew how goblins fight, that they were sneaky and kind of cowardly and would, would only fight in the darkness and all that. And Droop was not strong. Droop was not, uh, did not have many hit points at all. Uh, he had a, an amazing stealth check. Oh, uh, okay. And he could sneak attack the crap out of people. And so he <laughs> just, and, and they, all they saw was a goblin. So that if they did see him, they would think that he was part of their group. Right. But they were so focused on the group and then the firelight that he just circled around the back, came up behind them, and sneak attacked them one by one by one. And by the time <laughs> they started to figure out what was happening, it was too late. Uh, we killed, like, maybe a third of the goblins and Drew killed the rest. I thought it was memorable because... Nobody even guessed that Droop was a part of this. We just were like, Droop's a fucking idiot up in the tree, asleep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely convinced that he was he was asleep in the tree because, like you said, his character was non-compliant. I mean, metagaming it a little bit. Why would you want to run another character when you're already running a, uh, a random encounter? Just put him on the shelf and not deal with him. That, that simplifies the whole encounter. Like, that's what I'd do as a lazy DM. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely convinced that Droop was not a part of this. I don't think it was until 
the very moment you said that it was Droop that I knew it was Droop. So it was really? it was the big reveal was a big reveal to me. I was convinced people were gonna figure it out. So <laughs> I was like I was I had to pressure Amber with incoming arrows. Mm-hmm. Because she just kept oh, trying to wake him up. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to get her away from that tree or she's going to figure it out. So yeah. I started shooting arrows at her. Michael was uh, shooting the light and you were shooting light. And then, oh, Amber was too because she had that spell, I think it was hers. Yeah. Had that spell that would create light. Everybody was creating light. And, 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 and at first it was like, shit, this is going to mess everything up. <laughs> but then I was able to really use that to create that atmosphere and that sense of like not knowing what's going on. And and when you find, I, I was trying to create the atmosphere like a horror movie, like you get like a flashlight, whatever. And when you're able to, you feel powerless from because you're surrounded by darkness. And when you have that empowerment of being able to shed light on something, it's just a little bit too late. Right. You know? <laughs> um, that is like every time we got an arrow in a certain place, something would scoot out of the way. And I'm like, I wasn't sure if that was like a mechanic of this in, encounter. Uh, like I said, I thought it might have been a pre-written encounter. Mm-hmm that whatever it was that was out there was just it had a reaction that it could get out of the way or or if it was i don't know what it set the tone for us fearing what was happening far more than we should have my thinking was you're in the dark you see this flaming arrow coming at you you're gonna move sure no reason to stand there like oh arrow (laughs) oh shit that sucks now you're gonna get out of there right uh, and so you, it would hit, and you would just you would just see it moving around. Yeah, because that's terrifying. I, I, I think we. You. But I also wanted you to see that to create that sense of like, yeah. okay, something is there. Yeah. And I think you were spreading that. You were spreading it out enough that it was obvious, like there was multiple somethings out there. Yeah. And then it I started felt like putting, there were about six or so. I started putting things out there to represent them, and so you would know that they're out there. But with the understanding that, like, okay, here is where you think it is, but right. it doesn't mean that's in that specific square, right? Yeah, that's the last place we saw it. And then just the droop comes out. I, remember, I just remember having him like come out, cover in blood, just smiling, like super happy. With I thought uh, it was a goblin came into the firelight mm-hmm. and was still alive. And Michael and I started rushing him. And then the next round comes around and Droop ju- jumps out of the darkness, oh, that's stabs nice. him to death. And we know it's Droop because he's got the, the eye patch on. <laughs> I remember going through my head like three or four different ways of how I was going to reveal that it was true. <laughs> okay. Don't necessarily remember how I did it. But yeah, that, that, that does sound right. I remember, because I remember there was one where I was like, I wanted to be like a little Tasmanian devil, just like <laughs> losing it. That touches on something about being a DM. Like I said before, I planned out that encounter with MON and the Masquerade Ball, and I didn't expect it to go the way I planned. And that's kind of par for the course as, as a DM. You expect four or five different outcomes, potentially. And there might be one that you didn't even think of. And you might plan for different reveals. And in the moment, you have to make a snap decision about which one you really want to go with. Sure, I didn't expect that you guys were going to kill a bunch of guards to steal horses. Or that you were going to nearly get killed, you know, chase the captain of the guards down a hallway because you were just so confused about the situation. I didn't know all the details of it, but everything still happened far more uh, according to plan than than it usually does, at least for me. And for that uh, encounter, it went very well according to plan. Seemed to. It seemed to, especially since I didn't have a plan. <laughs> with it being well, totally random, I, I just kind of at, came up with it. I was like, At what point did you figure out that Droop was going to be the hero? Um, well, I, I kind of started that out in the beginning, but I didn't know how far I was going to get away with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it went... I didn't think I was going to be able to go all the way to the resolution of the encounter and, and be able to, to be able to reveal it. I thought somebody else would figure it out. Because so many things could have gone sideways with that you guys could have... Uh, somebody could have climbed the tree to, to make sure he was mm-hmm. okay. Somebody could, could have decided, run into the darkness and... Could have decided, you know what, screw this noise and ran towards the road and, and left, right? Or that, yeah. Um, because, yeah, when Michael was like, they're running from something, I was like, oh, I just lost control of the narrative as far as like... Oh, that's right. Um, this became a much bigger sense of dread than I was hoping for. And so half of them was like, yes! And then the other half was like, oh, well, hopefully they stick it out. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. And they'll yeah. just run away. 
Yeah, that it, running away did did come to mind for me as well. Again, metagaming a little bit. There's this unknown die sitting out there doing something, and it's changing. Like the number on it changed a couple times. Yeah, once I figured out that uh, you guys oh. thought the number about something, I started messing with everybody by just flipping the die around and changing the number. I just started counting it down, <laughs> uh, and I would count it down, and then I would come back and I would roll something, and then I'd pretend like I was writing something down. You could see the, 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 the wheels turning. Like, what are they doing? What does it mean? <laughs> well, it went down once last time and twice this time. What, why would that happen? And why is it moving that way? And, oh, man. And, and I think that might have been a big part of the reason why nobody figured out what, what was really going on. Everybody was so distracted with what that die meant. Uh, and it meant nothing. It was, it was just out there. That, that touches on what you said last time uh, about metagaming, that sometimes you need to do stuff to kind of give people's metagaming uh, yep. something to work on that might have nothing to do with the actual game. Yep. And if you do that, then it distracts their brain enough that you can like do something interesting that they don't expect. And it helps them build this whole narrative in their imagination that you don't have to do anything. Uh, Michael saying that, like, oh, they're running from something, built it added an entire dimension to that encounter that I didn't have to do anything for. That was all his imagination that that helped create that, honestly, much more fun encounter. Something that I, I've thought about metagaming a lot since our last session, I started realizing how metagaming can be fun. You may see something that is mechanical, but then you translate it into something like that. Mm -hmm. So he translated, I see something odd in the shadows, or rather, I see a die, but you can interpret it into something that's a, a narrative. And the narrative, he came up with was they're running from something there's something bigger and badder out there and then it's a part of the the story even though it came out of metagaming right and well there's a there's a directionality to it if metagaming is okay this happened what does that mean as far as saves are concerned hmm. right that's probably not the direction you want to go in as far as metagaming right you're going from narrative to mechanic True. but when I put it down there or I roll something and they're like okay well, that's probably a save what does that mean? What is, you know, from then you're going from mechanic to, to narrative. That's, that's the direction true. you want to flow to, right? Now, and if you can stimulate narrative by using a mechanic, or, or maybe maybe manipulating the game, maybe not manipulating the game, <laughs> um, then that adds to that experience, right? Yeah. Because somebody, all your players, their imaginations are very, very fertile, uh, and just the slightest thing can make them like. Oh, this is happening. That's happening, and, you know, and they will invent things that you never dreamed of. You, it goes back to uh, facilitating the story, not telling your own story or forcing yeah. the story. If somebody comes up with something, you know, just figure out a way to make that gold and just pull it in. You know, I didn't. I didn't make that memorable encounter at all. I put some ideas out there, but mm. the way everybody reacted to it made that a memorable encounter. Right? All I, all I did was facilitate that. They always say that D and D is a group storytelling game and that was a great example of that because we helped tell the story in our heads and mm -hmm. you helped tell the story by feeding off of what we were doing and you like you were steering it in a particular way you wanted to have the option of having droop be a, a mystery mm -hmm. we helped steer it by speculating what was going on beyond what we could see whereas the Imowen encounter it wasn't particularly uh, well-rounded in the group storytelling because it went according to my plan. Everything that happened fit into my expectations as a DM. I'm fairly certain I went home that night and I texted you and I said that's one of the single most fun <laughs> times I've ever had playing D&D before. We picked this topic a couple days ago and I've been thinking about it ever since. And thinking, what is it that makes up the most memorable encounters? And then I started thinking about, well, in movies and TV, you have the same moments that you remember. When Gandalf stops the Balrog, uh, you remember that because something big happens there uh, and something you didn't expect. You don't expect Gandalf to die, mm -hmm. but... Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Brought on yourself. Yeah. You've had time. Uh, anyway... You don't expect Gandalf to die, but he does. I mean, effectively, he mm -hmm. does. Gandalf is an anchor. So having him die, he's the character that brought the Fellowship together. He's the character that 
brought everyone together in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings was it's, it's all about subverting expectations. Your expectation with Gandalf is that he is the heart and soul of Middle-earth. You can't have Middle-earth without him. And similarly, Droop. No one expects this bumbling idiot who's done nothing for us yet to do something heroic. It completely turned our expectations on its head. Similarly, you don't expect to start playing a game, first level, with new people, and have the person who has asked you to go on a quest for them be the villain, and for you to be the villain. I lose interest in the game as soon as I figure it out. So if it's Monopoly, if it's Dominion, whatever, if I think I've got like a rock-solid strategy for winning that is you know, unbeatable, or if I know all of the different bounds of that game, it no longer interests me. I'm not yep. about discovering, I'm not engaged in it anymore. Um, and as soon as we start playing a campaign, and it's one of the reasons why I love D&D so much, is that I start putting out boundaries in my head. This is what this means, this is what this means, and I start f- figuring things out. Yeah. Um, and and then I, that starts, those become the realities of whatever that situation is in my head. And then as soon as that, as you think it's kind of subverted, all of a sudden it breaks down those boundaries, it breaks down those walls, and, and anything's possible again, right? And that moment <laughs> is, is like, okay, well, I, I want to keep playing. And it's incredibly powerful moment of... I don't have it figured out. I want to know what happens next. It's like the the world becomes bigger. Yes. When the, when when you have a moment that kind of flips things on its head. That's the perfect way to say it. Yes. When Gandalf dies, you know that every character in the Fellowship of the Rings has to grow a little bit because mm-hmm. Gandalf's not around anymore. Because in, right up until then, you know what happens next. Things yeah. get tough. Gandalf fixes it. We're not sure what to do next. Again, I'm telling you what to do next. Right. You know what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah. And then when he dies, it's like, well, well what I knew was going to happen next isn't going to happen because it kind of needed him to happen. Yeah. So what, anything can happen, what's going to happen now, you know? All of a sudden, even though it's a movie, it's quite literally, you know, sequential. Mm-hmm. Um, or on rails, as we put on and it. All of a sudden, in your head, it's not on rails anymore. It's just, yeah. it's sandbox. Everything just went off the rails because yeah. it doesn't look like it used to mm-hmm. before. The, the rules got broken somehow. Exactly. And so, you're like, oh, wow, wow, wow. wow. <laughs> How will this work out? When Vader revealed himself as Luke's father... Again, spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> Who's watching this? I don't know. Anyway, when Vader reveals himself as Luke's father, that tipped everything on its head. Now, there are people who say that they saw it coming. But for us that didn't see it coming because we were too young to know, that changed the entire universe. Like, now there were new stories in my head. I, I have to figure out how could that be? How could the ultimate villain and the ultimate hero be father and son and I start telling these very elaborate stories in my head of how did we arrive at this moment in time and the same thing happened with Drew how did we arrive at this moment in time we had to retell the entire story to ourselves because we didn't get it right the first time as far as that encounter you mean yeah mm-hmm. how did how did Drew end up being the hero of this and we ended up when just, he's still asleep in the tree right he's no he can't be asleep in the tree it must have gone this way, and now I've got to replay the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just like when Imwen revealed, well, when you found out that Imwen was duping you guys, you had to replay that whole situation over in your heads. Yeah, I remember when that happened, we had this moment where we all looked at each other over the table, and we're like, <laughs> and we all I almost like, thought you guys were angry. You could almost see us all like replaying back in our head, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's just like one of those things where it's so obvious when you, when you see it, but until you see it, you're just oblivious and you did a masterful job. I mean, you, you never lied to us as far as like from a DM standpoint, all kinds of things were suspicious about this. And you did it in a way where we immediately became engaged of like, well, we got to go and rescue, you know, uh, this person. You didn't hide anything from us. Everything was was there for us to see, um, and we looked at it and didn't see it. Or we more, more accurately, we looked at it and saw what everyone wanted us to see, right? right? But if one of us said, "Well, what about this? It makes sense," I never got the sense that you would have 
you know, try to manipulate that more so than anyone was. It's just like you, <laughs> the, you presented a case that was so good that we just immediately fell into it and it felt natural just to pursue this, right? Yeah. We were do-gooders doing good things. Yeah. Um, which was exactly what everyone wanted. Right. Um, and and that, that realization, I, I, I can't speak for the group, I wasn't upset with you. I'm having the most fun when <laughs> I realize I've been tricked. That's a, a lesson that I need to keep as a DM. Subverting expectations, tricking the party produces fun. Absolutely. Because I could go any night of the week, I can go and have an experience that is what I expect. Yeah. Right? Go watch that a movie you've seen before. Super easy. Uh, go home and take a nap. The thing with, with Timberwind, I, I was tricked. I, I got completely uh, baited into that. Um, my DM Ken knew what he was doing. Uh, and fr- from the grin on his face, you knew that things went exactly according to plan for him. <laughs> um, I knew it because I knew that grin because he used it a lot because he tricked me a lot. Uh, and whenever I did that, that I was having the most fun in that moment when I was like, oh, he got me again. Um, <laughs> Eric, Eric got us. And that moment where you look across the table, everybody else is like, oh, I, I see what happened. That I'm going to remember. When I was thinking through what creates a memorable moment, I came up with two elements of those memorable moments. One was subverting of expectations, and one was emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with Gandalf, you're emotionally engaged because he's such a core character, you kind of believe in him, and when he dies, it's, you feel the loss. In D&D, it's a, it's a little more difficult to get that emotional engagement. As a DM, I need to make sure that my players care about their characters mm-hmm. to get emotionally invested in those characters. Which, depending on what kind of player you're dealing with, can be very difficult. If it's somebody who... Maybe they just grab a premium character and yeah. they, they they show up and, and nothing wrong with premium character, but no. they haven't invested much time in that character, you know. And they approach it probably as a as a board game. You're gonna have a much harder job getting them invested, right? If somebody comes to the table uh, with a character sheet that uh, is almost has holes in it because they've erased and written <laughs> one piece, or they went online and found a bunch of unearthed Arcana articles and did like a, a custom modified class and all of this and they researched it and they put a bunch of time in it and they wrote this backstory um they're invested in that character they're invested but i think there's a difference between that sort of investment the time investment and the emotional investment you know you may get that emotional investment from doing the like writing a backstory but emotional investment i don't it's got to come from like you you understand your character you know what the character feels, what the character's motives are, why they want things. That's a good point. And if you spend two days on a character, we talked about before, like building them up for for a game that you're going to play, you will feel like you know that character. Because you'll put a lot of work on that character. But you won't actually know that character until you've had it interact with other players, other characters, other creatures, and you had to make decisions, right? Yeah. Um, when you're not in control of all the variables, uh, when, when you have to make a, a, a tough call, maybe, you know, running away or, or saving Drew from the tree or whatever, you know, like, it's it's easy to come up with stuff that your character's been through when you write the backstory. Well, not easy, but, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you can dictate what happens. When yeah. you have to make choices in a situation where you can't just what happens in this risk and reward you have to really kind of feel out that character's concept if you have made tough choices and there's been rewards and there's been risk and all of that every time you do that you're just that much more invested in that character that character right. that much more to you um, and, then, and it's that much of a bigger deal the next time you have to make one of those tough calls and that character might not make it out okay so we've got the subverting expectations and being emotionally engaged yeah um, I think subverting expectations can happen at any time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more likely to happen the more engaged players are because then they're more focused on one direction and then when you kind of swerve into another direction, you know, it's, as opposed to if you right. just start, you, you don't have any direction yet. Right. I mean, you have to have established expectations. Right. Like with Emma, when exactly. it was simple, the expectation was you're going to come in and you're going to save the kidnapped child. 
Right. Those are your expectations. It's just, you know, it's a simple invitation. It's, it's, there's good to be done. Being emotionally engaged takes a while. Right? Yeah. It takes some work. Uh, it takes some experience as far as, not as a player, but experience for that character. You have to experience that character, right. playing them. And then the other thing I think is the perception of risk. And I think that you can't really have that without having that engagement. I don't feel like uh, the Droop encounter had a... There was a perception of risk, and it was... That was an element of it. The mystery and the reveal of the mystery, that was what made that interesting. With Emowyn, that that was the first day that everybody had played the game, but I felt like everybody was emotionally invested. Well, there's there's other things other than your character dying. My main concern throughout that encounter... I got stung by the... Yeah. was an imp. I almost died. I didn't feel there. I mean, I felt risk there, but the major risk that I felt throughout that encounter, as soon as the, that, that swerve of direction happened, was our reputation. Right. Our character reputation was going to suffer. I assume the thought process is: we're going to go in, we're going to go do good, we're going to leave, we're going to get rewarded. Simple, very well established trope of D and D: go in, do good, leave, get rewarded. Mm-hmm. Instead, it was go in, try to do good, find out you're doing bad, figure out how you get yourself out of this situation. (laughs) Because when we went in there, the stakes were a life. Once that realization came upon us, like, okay, there's nothing at risk here when we got here. There was nothing going on, right? Mm -hmm. But now the actions we've taken, now our reputation, our livelihood, or our freedom is at risk, right? So nobody's going to die or right. nobody's being abducted or like that. Now that we understand what's really happening, do we let it happen? As far as <laughs> the, the robbery that was happening, do we stop it? You know, can we? Is there a way to do this and make people understand that we're not the bad guys? And then there's what actually happened. You ended up being the robbers anyway. <laughs> there's a lot of interpretation there as far as what happened. Okay, there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. Um, a lot of different so, things going on. So at the end of that, that encounter, Crystal found Emowyn stealing uh, treasure from, from the Lord, took down Emowyn, thought she killed her, and dumped all the treasure in her bag, jumped out a window, mm-hmm. and escaped well, on see, the horses that's that the was stolen. of one character. You can't blame, right. You certainly can't blame Eric and Michaela's character for that. No. Because they were busy murdering other people. <laughs> they were under the understanding that they were doing good uh-huh. and they just needed to, to establish, they needed to figure out how to escape the situation. Yeah. And we, they were doing a good job of doing it. All of our characters learned a lot about who they were that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and who they weren't. We were not the good guys at all. Uh, in that encounter we went there with the best of intentions and we came out there just kind of like traumatized for our own actions but it was it was one set of risks traded for another set of risks it was the risk of being stopped from doing good Mm -hmm. to the risk of being killed or uh, imprisoned and also stopping the person who who duped us yeah at one point it was this it was a very uh, palpable moment of like Okay, well, Emma's got to pay for this, like, um, because she is she didn't just trick us. She didn't just use us to rob people, but she specifically set it up for us to take the fall. Yes. What was happening? Very publicly had us, you know, basically try to rob a party. When the creature came in, it was invisible, mm-hmm. so it looked like we were attacking the party, right? So it was beautifully set up to make us look as terrible as possible. <laughs> it's interesting. It, it actually was mildly difficult to come up with memorable moments. But I do feel like the formula of D&D, the ability for the D&D to subvert expectations, the characters, you can get emotionally invested in them. And there's always risk. Like those three sides of the triangle of making a memorable moment, they're all a part of D&D, and they're all kind of built into D&D. And yet, it's not every game that I come out with something amazing. It -hmm. takes effort. I would agree. I also think that there's a lot of things that, for me, if I was sitting down with some people that I played D&D with for 10 years, I'd have a bunch of moments that we could talk about. When we were trying to come up with for this, I came up with a couple and it's kind of like, nobody who wasn't there will know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and I can't I guess there's that to describe it that would make this funny or interesting to somebody else. 
I think it's hilarious. Everybody else is looking like that makes no sense. Right? Or, why would that be funny? Or you know, it's like, well, but, but he was wearing ears. It was it was hilarious. Like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, really, if you, you had to be there, right? I guess the had to be there moments a are. Lo- there's a lot of that. In a lot of yeah, because it is. It's it's an inside joke game. You're hanging out with friends playing. It is. And how many times have you and I in the past year been playing and you'll see me or I've seen you. You do the same thing I do. I stand up. I will walk up and down. I might go and grab some snack or something. But like I'm trying to make my brain work by walking across. <laughs> the, it makes no sense. But I do it every time. How many times have we done that? Or how many times have we just, just doubled over laughing, right? Where we're, we're so engaged and it's a... a a communal experience of like we're all experiencing the same thing and I could not describe that to somebody else right I, I wouldn't no. even know how to, to start almost every game of D&D it's unique and memorable in itself but to be able to have a, a moment that's relatable to others that's that's more unique um, I may not be good at segues but I'm great at killing conversations I think we're good <laughs> I think we're good. This is I, I, this was a good conversation. Well, if you're watching this, um, you most likely watch some other episodes. Maybe not. Um, if you haven't watched the other episodes, you probably ought to. I will put in the description any uh, links to anything that we reference, like Minds of Fandelver. Maybe a little spoiler intro for Minds of Fandelver. <laughs> Definitely Star Wars. Uh, yes, yeah, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. We would love to hear about your memorable moments. If you want oh, to put yeah. them in the comments, if you want to send them. As a, as a message to us, I'm assuming a lot of people have memorable moments playing Dungeons and Dragons or, or Pathfinder or w- whichever tabletop game you're playing. What, what makes it so special for you and your friends? And was there a moment where it just kind of clicked for you where you're like, uh, this is the, the greatest game ever, you know? Uh, and I, 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 I love doing this. Um, yeah, we would love to hear about that. Subscribe if you want to subscribe. If you don't, you should probably subscribe anyway because I said so and that's a compelling enough reason agreed I think that's it though that's it okay good night good night next episode Robert and I talk about how to get ready to run an adventure we ask each other what we do to prep and what we probably ought to do that we don't currently if you enjoy Dungeons and Tangents please let us know by rating us on iTunes You can also let us know by finding us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent and sending us a funny picture. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.